Hello, this is Mike Fernandez. Thank you for joining me and my co-host and Boston University professor Gary Sheffer for yet another episode of The Crux of the Story. On each podcast, we explore what is at the heart of communications in its various forms from journalism to public relations and discuss uh, the impact of communications on business and society. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Good, Mike. Great to see you again and, and hear from you. Well, and, and by the way, this is our 95th episode and we're closing in on 100 what do you think we should do to mark the mike and they said they said it would never last you know it was uh, you know like one of those weddings you go to and people are saying maybe it won't last but i don't know for the hundredth mike what do what do you think uh we could do like a night of a hundred stars or something (laughs) they did back in on abc or I could do a hundred I, I, I think most of our audience is younger than we are, Gary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we could do a counttdown. hundred things I learned from Mike in the last five years. That would uh, well, that'd be that'd very be short. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gary, our topic uh, today is, is around airlines. I, I'm just sort of curious. Did you travel at all during the holidays this past season? Uh, I did not, not by, not by uh, plane. Uh, I did otherwise, but I did have relatives, friends who were impacted by the travel problems during the holidays. So certainly familiar with it. Yeah. And, and some of you listening to this podcast might recall Winter Storm Elliot towards the end of December. It was what's called an extra tropical cyclone or bomb cyclone, as some news stories referred to it, that brought with it blizzards, uh, high winds, snowfall, and record cold temperatures across a majority of the U.S. and parts of Canada. Uh, The results? Uh, Lots of bridges and roads were closed, tens of thousands of people were stranded, and tens of thousands of people were stranded at airports and found their flights canceled or delayed uh, for the better part of a week, right in the middle of Christmas week. Among the organizations finding themselves in the eye of the storm was Southwest Airlines. And today, we are lucky to have with us one of its top executives, Linda Rutherford. Uh, Linda started her career in journalism, even working for a time for the Dallas Times-Herald. But for the last 30-plus years, she has served in various public relations and community affairs roles at Southwest Airlines. In 2016, she was named the company's chief communications officer. In 2021, uh, people and HR responsibilities were added to her remit. And this past fall, she was promoted to chief administration and communications officer, now overseeing a whole host of administrative functions, including technology and internal audit, along with her HR and communications responsibilities. Through the years, Linda and her teams have been viewed as among the best in the business, recognized with many awards and honors. And just this past year, the Institute for Public Relations gave her its highest honor, its Lifetime Achievement Award. Linda, welcome and good morning. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hi, this is Gary Sheffer. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University.
Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Thank you all for having me. So, Linda, let's just start right into it. Uh, Thank you first so much for spending some time with us today. I think it's incredibly helpful to have a professional like you uh, come in and talk about a crisis that a lot of people are somewhat familiar with, but kind of peel the onion away a little bit and look at the subsequent efforts taken by you and your team to respond to customers, share owners, employees, and even the federal government. So let me get this straight. The optics at the time were winter storm, Elliot hits, everyone is impacted, things start to get better. That is everyone but Southwest Airlines. What happened and what initial steps were taken by you, the executive team, in order to get your arms around the situation and begin assessing the situation, deciding what to do about it. Well, Mike, I I think that we realized that we were facing an unprecedented storm. You know, we had done all of our winter ops pre-planning, as I'm sure all the airlines did, to make sure we had adequate, you know, glycol for de-icing, to make sure that we had adequate staffing, to make sure that we had pre-canceled, actually done some thinning of the flight schedule to understand that it was going to take a little bit more time to manage the weather. But for us, uh, what started as a widespread winter storm, you know, very quickly turned into an operational crisis for us. And uh, as you mentioned, our lack of ability to recover was was an outlier uh, in the industry. Um, It turned out the weather was worse uh, than predicted. And the advanced planning that we had for our winter ops at several of our locations just very quickly became unviable. Uh, Our larger locations, such as uh, Denver and Chicago, along with several other cities across our network, um, were experiencing various issues, you know, coming out of the winter storm. And that was everything from de-icing delays. We had some passenger jet bridges that were inoperable because the hydraulics had frozen. It was just very harsh weather. And I think the culmination of that, you know, led us to consider mass cancellations, some of those at the last minute, though, for several days. And, you know, the, the situation deteriorated, you know, over a period of a couple of days leading into the, the Christmas holiday. And so the executive team, you know, mobilized. We have a headquarters emergency command center in our Dallas uh, headquarters campus. And we mobilized the teams very quickly to you know, understand what was happening, why our plan to manage the winter ops had not worked, and then what we were going to try and do to sort of reset the network. Well, Linda, welcome. Thank you. And we want to go into this a little more deeply. Mike and I have been through our share of crises, and we were laughing before, so much so that I think we had hair when we started managing uh, some of these crises (laughs) during our corporate and political careers. And I, I teach crisis communications now at Boston University. And I know my students will listen to this, Linda, will listen to this episode of The Crux. And of course, as part of our, you you would imagine, our crisis discussions that we have every class, this issue came up. And one of the things I'd I'd like to ask you that uh, I've confronted during this semester of teaching crisis is, how do you teach crisis in an environment where crisis seems to matter less and less. And, and what I mean by that, it's, these are very important things, right? You impact people's lives in so many ways. But the news cycle is such, Linda, that these things move on fairly quickly. And the consensus in my class, by the way, is among the students, 
they like Southwest, it has loyal customers, it'll do just fine. Do you think about that in your crisis planning? And it's something I'm struggling with, uh, honestly, in the classroom. You know, I think we go back and we lean heavily on, you know, the very beginnings. So our founders, uh, Herb Kelleher, Rollin King, you know, wanted to set up a different kind of airline. And it was one that was going to under-promise and over-deliver. It was going to change the way people fly. It was going to make it affordable for the working class to be able to enjoy air travel where previously they had not been able to. And so, you know, it started as a very different kind of company. As we think about crisis today, and certainly, you know, in my tenure here, we've had you know, most recently, I could look back on the, the grounding of the MAX, the Boeing MAX aircraft. Yeah. You could certainly look at the couple of years of the pandemic. Uh, you could look at our um, engine failure that we had in April yeah. of 2018. Uh, each time we go into a crisis, we have two main tenants, and that is we're going to approach this with compassion and action. And we are going to, you know, we're going to speak the Southwest way. We're going to adhere to our Southwest way values and we're going to explain what happened and then we are going to take action. And so even, you know, in this environment, Gary, we have not changed, you know, that Mm -hmm. approach. We believe that all of our stakeholders deserve to know, you know, what happened. Um, Our regulators certainly want to know what happened. We want to assure ourselves that we can mitigate the risk uh, of something like this happening again. And as you said, we have a loyal customer following, and it's important that we keep that. And so while you know, the world tends to have ADD uh, these days, and they might move on. We're, we're not going to move on. You know, our, our history, our heritage, our culture tells us that we're going to understand what happened and that we are going to, you know, do what we can to keep it from happening again. I, I'm so glad. I mean, that what you just did there was an entire class for me. <laughs> it's quite helpful. It really, it is. I, I remember last year in my crisis class, Stacy Tang from Heineken came in. And to the and she talked about sort of the values and principles, very similar to what you had to say, you know, always listening and ad- adapting, humi- humility, obviously telling the truth, et cetera. So I, I love to get those kinds of sort of frameworks that companies use when when they uh, approach a crisis. Now, I do want to come back uh, to the crisis itself because there were some unique challenges with this. I mean, these things get very political. The visuals on this obviously were difficult for the company. Seas of baggage, you know, luggage that in, in piled up in airports, etc. But one element that was unique was that your union of pilots and flight attendants, as I recall, said that part of this was caused not just by weather, but by outdated scheduling software, if I'm remembering this right, Linda. And how much of that was the cause of this? And how do you look at, in a crisis, responding to something like that from your employees? You know, it's in the early hours, you're trying to triage. And and really, it's just about, you know, uh, recovery. What statistics do we have around delayed Mm -hmm. flights? Um, Where are our flights canceled? What are we going to look at doing to try and reset the network? What, What should a customer do? Uh, if his or her flight is canceled. And so we began with some pretty, you know, basic content, both written and video, trying to make sure that all, we were using all of our channels, keeping all of our stakeholders updated. You know, in, in the fog of war, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not unusual to have a number of different types of narratives uh, mm-hmm. begin to emerge. And, you know, without having all of the information, we did have several entities, some air, some airports, you know, some union representatives and some government agencies kind of latched on to some language that the government was using around meltdown um, mm-hmm. and, and wanted to begin to assign, you know, causes to the disruption. And that was within hours of some of these flight, you know, cancellation issues emerging. So, you know, we continued to communicate with outlets across the country uh, to counter what we felt like were some premature cause and effect stories. We used both our CEO and COO uh, yeah. to explain, you know, what all we were going to be engaged in and, you know, that there was going to be a pretty exhaustive and thoughtful analysis process. And that included a number of things. You know, we started with our board of directors who formed an operations review committee and said that they would work alongside management to, you know, guide our, our response and, and analytical efforts. Our COO asked several departments to engage in a process review uh, to take a look at, you know, our tools and processes, if anything might need to change for the future. And and for instance, there is, you know, we had a plan for winter ops, but with some of the effects of climate change, as an example, did we need to look Mm -hmm. at, you know, doing anything differently? Do we need a different type of de-icing equipment? Do we need more staffing uh, to be able to handle our our typical de-icing operations? And then lastly, we engaged with a third party. Uh, so we decided we wanted an, an, an outside agency to come and sort of do their own independent review that we could then use to validate or challenge some of our own findings, you know, from our internal review, and then understand if we needed to, you know, look at anything different related to our operation, our route network, you know, our processes, including our technological capabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think three key things that 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 are coming out of the analysis is, you know, as you said, first of all, was the issue technology. And to set the record straight, you know, our crew scheduling software never stopped working during the event. You know, it, it did become overwhelmed by some of the number of changes that we were trying to put through it, but any great technology can become overwhelmed. You know, you saw hearings recently uh, where Live Nation and Ticketmaster were having to explain how their right. technology, you know, became overwhelmed when Taylor Swift tickets went on sale. Go all the way back to when healthcare.gov was launched for yeah. Obama's uh, healthcare program and how it became overwhelmed. So even great technology, you know, has a capacity limit. And so, you know, we we invest about $1.3 billion a year in technology, both investment and sort of, you know, running the, the day-to-day airline. And we will continue that investment. Um, you know, we've implemented several large-scale technology projects, including a new reservation system, a new maintenance control system, a new human capital management system. So we know how to do technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not the issue here. You know, the, the, the second thing that, that we had people question us about was, you know, was it your point-to-point network? In other words, would right. this have happened to you if you were hub and spoke? And you know, the fact of the matter is that our flight activity has been at or near the same level for months with high reliability. So what happened really can't be contributed to our largely point-to-point network. I mean, we can operate the schedule that we've published. And we've, and by the way, we proved that we could do it. You know, as we reset the network, we've been operating. Uh, January, we finished third among all the airlines for on-time performance. Mm-hmm. So we do know how to operate, um, you know, at scale and with our point-to-point network. We've got nearly a 52-year history of doing that. And then the third narrative, Gary, that came up was staffing. Oh, well, did the right. winter storm just overwhelm you to the point? You know, we broke a record in 2022 and hired 11,600 
net new employees to Southwest Airlines. We increased our ratio of aircraft or employees per aircraft, you know, working. So we had more people uh, available to us this winter season than we did before. So the issue was not staffing. You know, I, 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 I love what you've sort of gone through because you make a what I think is a classic point that uh, getting back to Gary's classroom is it all too often I think they, whether it's communications professionals whether it's people in the news have a tendency to look at crises as linear and they <laughs> rarely are you know yeah. it's it, it, and, and you've got several offshoots you'll have other people trying to push different narratives and the the number one goal needs to be solve the problem at hand and then also create i think some streams of communications that people can latch onto that in part answer some of these offshoots which you seemingly did uh, extremely well now one of the mike i was going to just say really quickly and linda as well too and we're in a business where there are judges sitting you know experts yeah. in in crisis and it's unlike uh, i think anything else in business where instantly you're judged on your crisis response yeah. by journalists and others people in the business and you, you don't see like instant analysis of somebody's audit or, right. You know, right. <laughs> right 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 well you know and, and the other the, the other crazy thing is right they don't see all the details. They don't yeah. know all of what's happening behind I agree. the scene. So, so sometimes it's a mess. But Linda, I mean, to think about it, so here you are, and you lead more than communications in this picture. What was that like being in the center of the storm, in the eye of the storm, and having oversight, not just of communications, but HR, and the IT functions as well? Did it make your job any easier or harder. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at The Crux Podcast. Now, let's get back to the episode. Um, I think there were a few more challenges uh, added to the added to the remit for sure. You know, obviously, I was concerned that we were being timely uh, with good communication, that we were letting not only the you know the public, the traveling public, know what was going on. We were keeping our regulators updated. We made sure our employees knew what was going on. Um, but I also, you know, we had a short period of time where from a hiring perspective, obviously we had to put some of those efforts uh, on hold here right at the beginning of the year because we didn't want to use seats for people coming in for interviews. We wanted to make sure that those were available hmm. to sort of you know reset the network and get our customers where they needed to go. So we had to worry about that, right, briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the training function where, again, we had people who were flying in that had already been hired that were coming for training. We didn't necessarily want to interrupt that because we need all of those employees trained and on the job. So it was sort of working through the logistics of making sure that we could keep the training machine going. You know, working with our technology folks, you know, I've got between vendors and full-time employees close to 4,000 technologists 
who are, you know, working day in and day out to keep our systems secure and running. And you can imagine early on that that was very defeating for that group to hear mm -hmm. that somehow, you know, technology was being blamed for an event like this. So I was working to, you know, manage, you know, the morale internally uh, among our technology folks. And then, you know, as we got the uh, operation stabilized and, and back, uh, we started immediately hitting our recruitment marketing efforts again about, you know, why would you want to come to work at Southwest Airlines? Yeah. As you can imagine, anybody who'd been watching the news might say for a hot second, mm, do I want to go do that? <laughs> and yeah. so we had to, you know, think about our recruitment marketing messages to sure. explain to people, why would you want to come? And so, you know, relying back on our, our long history of culture and values and hard work and, you know, a winning attitude, if you will. So we were not going to let a week in December define us. Well, and you underscore a very important point that uh, there's a tendency, I think, in, in some organizations to say, well, once we get everything up operational and we're up and running, we're done. Um, no, <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's just, it's just, it's like the next, the, the next phase begins in terms of restoration. I know that, you know, so here you had all of these customers, some who were stranded, some who are angry, uh, some who are going to miss a flight to be wherever by Christmas day, you've got cancellations, delays, lost luggage. What steps, once you got everything operational, were taken to kind of start to build back that customer trust? No, it's a great question. You know, the, the team kind of divided our work into three distinct categories. And so it first was restore. Mm -hmm. So let's get everything, you know, let's reset the network. Let's make sure that, again, all of our various stakeholders know what's happening within that effort to try and, you know, reset the network. Then it was recovery. And so to your point, Mike, it is how do we make things right with the customers? How do we make things right with our employees? Our CEO issued an apology. He sent our Rapid Rewards members, every uh, you know member who was impacted, 25,000 swag points. All in, we had about 2 million travelers who were affected by the flight disruptions. And we uh, have handled all of the refunds of their flights. We have worked through, I think, all but uh, 1 or 2% of the reimbursement requests that came in. And we have returned all but a handful of the of the bags to their rightful owner. So part of recovery was just, you know, immediately do what we can to make it right with the customer and make sure that our employees felt appreciated. Our CEO wrote them a note. And we have an internal bank, if you will, called SWAG, which is Southwest Airlines Gratitude. Uh, and we did the same thing for our employees where we gave them 25,000 SWAG points and thanked them for everything that they did, all their heroic efforts to you know, work with customers during the disruption. So those are some of the things that we did. We issued travel waivers, you know, if we needed to, so that people could easily, you know, rebook their travel if that was their desire. We did all of that well within the guidelines that were established for us by the Department of Transportation. So we're very proud of that. In order to do that, you know, we immediately started using some AI and, autom and automation, which was incredible to watch, you know, bots being developed so that we could begin to batch refunds and reimbursements more quickly. Hmm. Uh, we took headquarters employees who, were, who volunteered to be trained on the refunds, you know, software and had an army of people that we trained up to be able to mobilize against that customer recovery effort. And so basically we started with, you know, restore and then we went to recovery. And now we're really looking at you know, how do we understand the, the, the larger decisions that we want to make around 
you know, continued technology enhancements around changing procedures. I mentioned the winter ops earlier, if we right. want to do anything different there. And that, you know, we, there may be some longer term things that, that, that we choose to do. And that'll be part of the overall process. It, you know, we know that there'll be lawsuits. Uh, there already are some that have been filed. We know that there will be, uh, you know, congressional inquiries. You know, we have a Senate hearing that, you know, we're, we're prepping for. So this isn't, this isn't something that you, you kind of, you know, you say, whew. Yeah, Glad that's the over. Door on it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. You do not shut the door on this. You you use it as a learning opportunity, um, but you also use it as a motivator internally because our employees thrive on excellence. That is the one of our core values, and so they they want to know you know what we can do to make sure that we keep something like this from happening again. So so th- I, I want to build on Mike's question. I, I do want to come back to the Senate hearing because those things always intrigue me with my political background. But Linda, how do you think about the image? of the airline. Uh, and I ask it in this sense. I, I remember at GE when we had issues that sort of jumped into the consumer media, the late night talk shows, et cetera, where, you know, you were portrayed in a less than flattering light. You talked a lot about employees and what you're doing from an action standpoint. Do you think about the broader image of Southwest and and what you might want to do about that? Well, and Gary, last night I was watching uh, the Grammys while I was sort of typing away on different matters for work. And there's Trevor Noah, and he's in a conversation with Taylor Swift. And he said, more people listened to Taylor Swift's music last year. Well, with one exception, those on hold listening to the Muzak on Southwest Airlines. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you, yeah, you between, know, between the Grammys mention and then the, uh, the Saturday Night Live skit, uh, which yes. was a week or so ago. So, yeah, you, you definitely know that we have... Um, We've reached critical mass, right? There is no doubt that there is not critical mass awareness of uh, of what happened with us. But you know, we we know we're not perfect. You know the saying that character is revealed by what a person says and what a person does, and the mm-hmm. same goes for a company. Absolutely. Um, and we we definitely have work to do, Gary, to repair uh, the trust. But we're committed to being America's most loved and most reliable airline. And, and going into the week, we we had had a terrific 2022. Year. We had seen yeah. operations. Yeah, we had seen operations stabilize. We hired, I told you, uh, over 11,600 people. We were doing well to kind of restore the network coming out of the pandemic. So that work will continue and that work is important. And like I said, we're not going to we're not going to rest until we've satisfied ourselves that we've done all we can to mitigate the risk, something like what happened in December. And you know, simply put, we have a, a nearly 52-year history of serving communities safely and with love. Yeah. Uh, and we are not going to let a week in December define us. Yeah. That's why, you know, you always lean on your your record and your values, as you said, during these things. And, and Southwest certainly has a record of superior customer service. I, I said I wanted to come back to the Senate hearing. And by the way, politics gets mixed into all of this, right? I mean, we all know that and we've gone through Senate hearings. I'm not taking sides in in the discussion that we're having about the unions, but you're in negotiations with your your pilot's union for new contract, have been for a while. That affects things um, that are said publicly. I think that's objectively true. So I know back in December, 
Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, who was feeling some of the heat from progressives in his party to be more, to be harder uh, on Southwest, said some things about the airline uh, that you needed to fix thing. How do you prepare, given all of that, that environment, Linda, how do you prepare your executives for a hearing that sometimes can be more theater than substance when it comes to Washington? What, what are you doing to prepare for that? Well, we, uh, we've chosen our uh, chief operating officer to be the person uh, simply because, you know, the, this, is, this was an operational failure. It's important that we show the steps we're taking to become more operationally sound as we think about how to respond to severe weather uh, events. We are, you know, practicing and, and prepping. You know, we, <laughs> we are hopeful that we will be able to get some of our main points across. And that is, you know, we, we want to acknowledge, apologize, and act. And so we have, you know, developed written testimony Obviously, that's very important to us, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what might get to be said, what can be entered into the record will be something that we can refer to, you know, after the hearing as sort of the, you know, the official comprehensive statement about what we know happened thus far and what we're doing to, you know, make some, makes what we will be doing to make some changes longer term. So, you know, it's staying cool under pressure. Absolutely. It is, it is understanding that at times... The questions aren't to seek the truth, but to make a point. And so, you know, we are um, ensuring that our chief operating officer, you know, feels good about what we're presenting. And like I said, we're going to lean heavily on what we submit as as written testimony. I like the three A's, Linda. That yeah. is, uh, that's terrific. Apologize, acknowledge, and act. Uh, a good framework. So um, coming back to the discussion around reputation, there have been other airlines clearly that have gone through various issues. You know, even the veil references at, at one point to United Airlines and the problems that they had when they were taking a number of passengers off a plane back in 2017 to uh, groom for four employees who had had been deadheaded at at, very, at a location, um, and then this doctor famously being pulled off. What was interesting then, in terms of reputation, looking at United Airlines, was that the initial response, Morning Consult did a poll, and the poll showed that, you know, a majority of Americans said they'd never, they'd never fly United Airlines again. Mm. And, and yet, the actual action of passengers, of, of, of consumers was much different. And in fact, in a, in a few short months, passenger levels were restored in fairly short order. Now, the thesis at the time was that in part was because United was a hub and spoke and that uh, passengers had not many places or many choices to go in terms of carriers. Southwest, as you've already pointed out, is different, more point to point than hub and spoke. You cover a lot more territory. And I believe for some time you've actually even moved more passengers in the U.S. than any other carrier. Did, did you experience any hit in your metrics? I know for years, Southwest has been big on net promoter score. And if so, 
do you now see those customers coming back? That's a great question. You know, uh, when we did our financial results at the end of January, we talked about, you know, what some of the initial impact was. We expect, you know, that this will have around an $800 million financial impact all in. And and that's a mixture of things. Some of that is the cost of the gestures of goodwill for both Mm -hmm. our customers and employees that is refunds, reimbursements. We know that there was some revenue impact, right, during the, the that week because you had people who had to make other arrangements when we were unable to, you know, deliver and, and get them where they needed to go. We saw some softness in some in January and February, but as we look at March and beyond, you know, we are seeing passenger levels, you know, restored. When we look at, you know, stock price, there was, you know, an, a, an initial hit there, but if you look at performance uh, in the week since and and, and starting up today, you know, those that's that's uh, two mm-hmm. um, pre-event levels. Net promoter score. This is a really fascinating study. Hmm. You know, we we enjoy a wonderful uh, mm-hmm. net promoter score, um, usually in the 60s. And we did see we measure that by the week. We did see a day or two during the disruption where the net promoter score actually went negative. But hmm. when we look at the week as a whole, it did not go in the negative, which hmm. is pretty remarkable. And yeah. Gary, I think that goes back to what you said earlier that, you know, organizations that start with deposits in the Goodwill Bank. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that you can have an event like this and, and it won't, you know, completely gut the business. I think we're fortunate in that. We'll, we'll, we'll take that very seriously, though, right, to understand what we need to do better next time. But the net promoter scores uh, have have largely repaired themselves as well, and so we're we're grateful for that. And I think that points to the speed with which we did some of our recovery efforts. You know, making those refunds and communicating about how we were going to get customers reimbursed for their out of pocket expenses and the like. Uh, Linda, I want to build on that, and that's it's it's a great point. And I, you know, we talk about data all the time in communications. But there's, boy, that's uh, something that you can hang your hat on, right, are, are the NPS scores and how people feel about you. I mean, they're very honest in, the, in those things. So kudos to you for taking a look at it. You, Southwest has done a lot of community engagement over the years. And you do it because, I believe, you care, right, not for um, other reasons. Did that help you during this crisis, the work that you've done in the past? Goodwill in the bank, as you say. You know, I we believe that it that it did. When you have the kind of relationships that we do with the communities that we serve, you know, we like to say that you know we're not just a company of airplanes, but we're a company of people, and we live and work in those communities. Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, we're we're a part of the fabric of the communities, and we do we get involved. We have you know we roll up our sleeves and volunteer. We you know donate to causes that are important to the communities that we serve. I believe all of those have an intangible benefit on the halo effect, if you will, of, of our reputation of what we, mm-hmm. Southwest Airlines, stand for. And I think that that helps people believe, reasons to believe, if you will, that when something goes wrong, that we're going to do the right thing in order to right that wrong. And I certainly believe that we have an army of community influencers who truly believe that about us. And certainly that had to be helpful in this in this case. Yeah. Makes sense. It's it's only logical, and and uh, again, it's. I, I think people make judgments in crises about the character of an enterprise, and people know the character of Southwest. Uh, as you say, m- you know, mistakes were made, and you, the word failure is is an interesting thing word, a good word, I think, 
to say, and, and I've certainly done that over the years and taken away lessons from these things, both in the communication sense and then as a company, you certainly have done that. I do want to hone in, Linda, on the communications team. What lessons did, did you take away from this, you know, this, this uh, interruption that you had during the holidays? And, and what would you recommend any communications teams, even outside the airline industry, to prepare for, for big crises? So lessons and then any, any things that you, you think you've learned that you could recommend to others? You know, we, we got a little bit of criticism early on because, you know, this was probably the day after Christmas. So this would have been the 26th. You know, there were people who were sort of demanding uh, interviews with our CEO uh, mm-hmm. He had his sleeves rolled up and was in the middle of the headquarters emergency command center and was trying to figure out what a reset of the network would look like. Mm-hmm. In other words, how many flights would we have to reduce to in order to sort of match airplanes back up to flight crews? So we opted to take a little bit of heat early on and let him focus there rather than putting him in the studio. And there were a couple of reasons. One is we absolutely had to get the network fixed. Otherwise, we would have been talking about this for a lot longer uh, than any of us wanted to. But secondly, we had two or three things to try, and we weren't sure which one was going to work. And so rather than come out with a declarative statement of we're going to go do this and we think this is going to reset the network, you know, we we made a decision to wait. And in this day and age, like you said, sometimes that can be deadly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we, we took some heat for that. We, we definitely took some criticism for, you know, not putting the CE out, um, out immediately. We were communicating, but we opted to wait until we felt good about the solution to have him be the voice of it. And so that's, that's, that's something is, you know, a key yeah. lesson is to learn, you know, you're going to have to start communicating in the fog of war before you have all the answers. Uh, you want to make sure you don't overcommit any communication or declare victory too early. You know, this was certainly not mission accomplished, if you will, on day one. This was going to take several days to unwind. The voice, the voice of the issue, you know, when, when was the right time to put the CEO and our COO, those were our two principal spokespeople, when to put them out there. And so you'll have to take a look at that for, you know, your organization. And then contingency planning, you know, you cannot underscore the importance enough of doing some pre-thinking about these kinds of things so that you have a game plan and you're not, you know, you're not starting to think about it when something happens. You know, Mike and I talked about this early on where, you know, you, you need, when, when chaos is happening, that isn't the time to think about, gee, I wonder if we have a plan for this or who should approve this statement or, you know, any of that, that all has to be sort of premeditated. And that's something that any organization, whether you have, you know, five people doing communications or 55 people doing communications, that type of pre-work is something you can't anticipate Mm -hmm. every fact of every situation, but there is a lot of planning that you can do and should do in advance. You know, Linda, that's exactly what I'm talking about tonight in my crisis class. (laughs) (laughs) Is that risk? No, that, that eye toward, you know, what can go wrong and, and, viewing yourself as a communicator, as a risk manager. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so that I'm really glad, glad to hear that. You know, and in addition to that, one of the things I know Linda does, and we've talked about it before too, is the importance in that planning is also muscle memory and actually doing some real yeah. hardcore simulation exercises. No, that's a, that's a great point. And in fact, <laughs> About three weeks after the event, I think it was the third week of January, we did get our headquarters emergency command center, you know, together for a tabletop exercise and, you know, took them through, you know, 
a, a bad event, if you will, to just so that we could stretch that muscle and say, okay, I know we all just did this, but for a different reason, let's come back together now. And do you already know some things that you want to do differently that you hmm. want to update in your procedures manuals that you want to add to your checklists and try to take care of all of that while the thinking is still, you know, fresh. Fresh. Great. Thank you, Linda, for joining us today. It's been a treat and really enjoyed your smart, thoughtful insights into managing a crisis and talking about it uh, so compellingly, realistically, and clearly about what it takes to both build and restore reputation and trust in the aftermath of, of a crisis. So, so thank you for being with us. We wish you well. Well, thank you both for the invitation. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.